Hello and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast where we explore human behavior in a business context. Season two of Misbehave is all about uncovering behavioral patterns which create success in life and business. We're joined by highly driven, accomplished individuals to assess their behavioral patterns and dive into how behaviors have influenced their journey. On this episode, we're joined by Lee Chambers, founder of workplace wellbeing company Essentialize, which has an ambition to positively impact the health and well-being of a million people. Lee has become known as a male ally for menopause and gender equity, has recently been inducted into the Black Cultural Archives and has been named alongside Harry Styles and Tom Daly as a future shaper in Marie Claire magazine. Well, welcome, Lee. We're so pleased that you joined us today. I think a good starting point is always just to, if you can give us a little bit of a synopsis of your journey on a whistle-stop tour, and then obviously we'll dig into different parts of that. But if you can start by just giving us a little bit of an overview about you. Yeah, so born and brought up in Bolton in the Northwest. First one in my family to uni. Went out and got a graduate scheme. Thought life was uh, made and I was on a pathway. Got made redundant and that made me think, okay, I'll start up a business instead. Started up a business, grew it, went on a real journey in my mid-twenties, but then became ill, very much changed my perspective on life. Then spent some time as a stay-at-home dad to my kids and that gave me an even, you know, better and wider view of what I can potentially do. And nowadays run a workplace wellbeing business and do quite a lot of other stuff around that. So yeah, it's been a journey so far and Every day I wake up waiting uh, to see where the adventure continues to take me. Well, that was a good, very concise update. I think that sort of speaks to some of the behaviours that we're going to get into with you. But one thing I want to kick off with, because you said, you know, you said this and you kind of mentioned a little bit in your intro there. You said that your kids have taught you more about business than anything in business ever has. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so I think it's really interesting because there isn't really any kind of playbook or manual for business. In the same way, there isn't really any manual or playbook for parenting. And you're navigating and managing people. You're managing processes, you're managing systems, you're managing routines. And I suppose with my own children, what it made me do, especially being a male, you find that you have lots of elements of your life facilitated, you know, as Growing up as a young boy, you have a different experience than you would do as if you were a young girl. And for me, what I actually found is the kind of the caring aspects and really focusing on, you know, little people who were not only mine, but also, you know, quite reliant on me in a different way than employees were, uh, kind of helped me to become more present as as an individual, become a better listener, because I had to kind of really think about, you know, little children who can't always communicate exactly what they want with the vocabulary of an adult uh it helped me to become more more patient really because again i had to take that step back uh and just breathe and let them express themselves and try and be able to yeah understand their needs in in a in a more rounded way uh it definitely made me a better communicator because as many people who've got you know two little toddlers running around will know you have to be yeah, very clear on how you communicate, not just verbally, but in every way and very conscious of how you do that because they pick up on every single signal that you give off and they are incredibly receptive to the world around them. Uh, but I think the biggest thing and the thing that I laugh about most 
is how much it makes you better in negotiation. <laughs> it really gets you thinking of how you sell something in to probably the harshest critics and, and the most uh, resistant customers. Uh, and having two two-year-old toddlers, they will happily uh, team up and gang up on you and make negotiation really challenging at times. So I managed to hone those skills that you know are really useful in business by actually being a parent. And that's in some ways why I think you know a lot of female entrepreneurs have really strong skill sets for entrepreneurship. And you know if they just got the funding and the opportunities in an equitable way, the world would be a different place. It's so interesting you talk about that, yeah. yeah. Because you know we, I've got a, a really good friend of mine who's got two children, and they're so different. And we often talk about the difference around parenting your child different, and you know often you you you, you can use you default to the stuff that maybe worked with the first one, but won't necessarily work with the second. And if if you lift that kind of principle and put it into a work and working environment, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about behaviourally is just because if you can understand that everybody's different and not everybody's the same as you, you can then learn how to influence like on lots of different levels with lots of different people. And I just love that analogy. Yeah. It's like that whole piece of thinking, you know, if a, if you've got a number of people working for you in your team, one size just does not fit all. And, you know, it, and, and it doesn't. Tell us on the subject of behaviour. Tell us what, what does behaviour mean to you, Lee? Yeah, so I've always found behaviour interesting. Ever since I was a young boy, I used to sit there and watch people and think, why did they act in that way? Why did those words generate that reaction? And I've always been interested in, in how people interact. I think, you know, as a child, I would go and question adults about, well, why did you do that? In a way that, you know, got me into some great conversations, also got me into a bit of trouble. <laughs> and yeah, was often seen as misbehaving, yeah. comically enough, <laughs> there you go. Uh, for having the audacity to question adults. Uh, but for me, behaviour is an external expression of someone's quite often in a state uh, it goes through a whole bunch of frames before someone then expresses it to the world. And I suppose the challenge is in modern society, people see behaviours and place their judgments, their mm-hmm. lens on that particular behaviour, and then judge it as positive, negative, as you know, proactive or damaging. And actually, behaviours always come from a source and can change depending on where someone is and the frame of, of you know perspective that they have on the world but also their frame of mind at the moment in time so you know behaviors are that external expression that we see but behavior is just the clue just the clue and we need to be able to listen consider know the individuals who we are kind of looking at from a behavior perspective and start to appreciate some of their preferences some of their kind of natural differences But also, you know, back to that point where you just said leadership quite often has people looking at their own behaviours. We need to be aware of those. Yeah. We also need to be aware that other people's behaviours aren't always the signal that we think and the indicator that we see, but actually have a source that might be something we're able to explore with them. Potentially not, but it's just that understanding that it's an external expression and it's a way of communication in many ways. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And that so so resonates with you know the reason that we're so passionate about people. I mean, people in general, but leaders and businesses understanding more about their own behaviors, but also the dominant behaviors in their team, because that judgment piece 
and actually it's really interesting because on our, on our training we almost like have this these this couple of disclaimers at the beginning when we're training people about behavior and one of them is about context and the fact that behavior is contextual and to not broad brush themselves or other people that pe- people will have different behaviors in different contexts but the second piece is about no judgment no judgment of you yourself as an individual but or other other people because when you put that lens of judgment or that almost or that person's behaving because of this and you add the story suddenly it actually becomes a fairy tale versus if you just looked at a behavior and looked at the facts what did you see what did you hear and what did you witness and just talk about the facts of the behavior then we're able to have a much more sort of logical conversation and potentially get to that root so it's really interesting I think that that description totally resonates with how we feel. I was just going to say there's also a third disclaimer lay in the training <laughs> and that is we can't this whatever we whatever we share with anybody about their behavior it doesn't exclude bad behavior yeah because you know yeah the bad behavior yeah. you know that is you know sometimes that's stuff that clashes with your values sometimes it's just someone literally playing up and and you know being talked about children definitely there there is there are elements that do it you know that do need to be addressed we we do sometimes have to address bad behavior too particularly in the working environment mm-hmm. um but yeah there's a third there's a third the disclaimer third <laughs> actually the meaning behind this podcast really yeah um I'm interested to just go back a little bit with you because, you know, we're talking about behavior and we'll get into your dominant behaviors in a second. But I'm conscious that, you know, you went through with the illness that you went through, you know, you went through a life changing experience, you could call it. And I know you talked a lot about you talk about being back 70 percent as a per, as as, you know, physically, but actually you as a human being, there's like that 200 percent piece. And can you talk to us a little bit about that? process you know what it felt like and maybe who you were before and how going through that journey and having to you know relearn things like relearn how to walk and all of those sorts of things how that impacted you and how your behavior is different now yeah so I think you know so often in life we we are not particularly grateful for the things that we can just do especially for things that we haven't seen the effort to work for so for things that we naturally do, like breathing, like walking, all these things that were kind of like, you know, very important to us as humans, but we don't really see the graph to make it happen. Uh, we don't always have the gratitude for And, you know, before I became ill, for me, I'd never really, you know, stopped. I'd been building a business for five years, very, in some ways, quite tunnel visioned. And that was because I'd been doubted because people have said, you know, you're young, you're black, you've got an attitude problem. You'll not be successful in business. You've got no funding behind you. You've got no network. Like, what, what are the chances of succeeding? So, you know, that doubt can be really powerful fuel for building something to actually show that you can. It can also be quite limiting in understanding yourself and limiting in stopping you taking and really appreciating the opportunities for growth that you have around you. Uh, so when I became unwell, you know, it was serious. I ended up in hospital, spent a month in hospital, and then 11 months learning to walk again. I, I suddenly had to stop. And, you know, it forced me to stop after five years of relentlessly pushing. And the beauty is when you stop, the your first kind of reaction is like, whoa, what have I lost? But in that time, I got a bit of a chance to see what had I gained instead of looking at the loss and actually started to appreciate that. Yeah, I'd managed to showcase and prove that I could, but was that going to kind of lead to fulfillment in the future beyond beyond just proving a point? And what legacy and impact was I going to make on the world? So for me, I kind of realized that something had happened and I couldn't control it. 
I started to realize, you know, I'd grown up in the UK. I'd had free education. I was getting free healthcare. I'd never been hungry or homeless. I'd not been subjected to, you know, massive amounts of trauma in my childhood. Basically, I started to realize there was a hell of a lot that I really was just taking for granted. And also, when you lose the ability to walk and suddenly your independence, you get all your masculinity, your physicality, and, you know, your independent nature stripped away. And you need to ask for help because you've got no other choice. And that kind of helped me to really become a lot more present within myself. It started to heighten my own self-awareness and emotional intelligence because I had to explore myself, right? To explore those dark places where you don't really want to go. And through doing that and the recovery journey, which again, kind of validates that you can face significant adversity and come back as long as you get to a place of accepting what's happened Mm -hmm. and then taking ownership of the outcomes. For me, it really just, I say now it happened you know, not to me, but it happened for me to just help me stop, reflect on what I wanted to achieve in life, the legacy that I wanted to, you know, create every day. And, you know, it's then influenced my decisions to spend more time with my children, to build a meaningful business, to be purposeful in what I do. And you know what, adversity doesn't discriminate, but I'm actually glad it happened to me when I was younger. Yeah, Just a lovely, like, Mm -hmm way of describing something that a lot of people would look at from the outside and think, my goodness, what an awful thing to have happened to you. But for you to have gone through that process to be able to turn it into something. I'm interested just for the listeners, if you if you wouldn't mind, Lee, just to share, because you were in full throttle for five years building that business before you became ill. And, you know, we work with lots of very motivated, very sort of, you know, you talked about some of the stuff that people had said to you, that was almost an advancing belief for you to make you want to do it even more to prove people wrong and to be able to find a way through adversity. But we find a lot of people that are working so hard that they lose their sense of purpose and actually that they're pushing themselves, their mind and their body to a point which isn't always healthy. Can you tell us a little bit about the buildup to to you, you know, eventually falling, falling ill, just for the listeners to kind of understand and maybe watch out for some of the signs that that eventually you didn't see, but you were forced to look at. Yeah, I suppose reflecting back, it's interesting because I was in my I was in my mid to late twenties at a point where, especially for most male entrepreneurs that I meet, they feel like they're they're invincible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they feel like they can do everything. And I suppose for me, I didn't really see any particular warning signs until it actually happened. Yeah. I mean, reflecting back, I did feel a lot of stress and responsibility for my team for the decisions that I made that were then, you know, validated or challenged by others. But those decisions that you were making sometimes without all the data and information available, you know, had a massive influence on the people that I work with. And I felt a lot of responsibility for that because I come from quite a, you know, quite a deprived background myself. Uh, and I do feel that, you know, in, in that year beforehand, we'd had we'd had kind of like a, a side product launch, which had taken off like a rocket and then fell back down to earth again. Mm. We'd had a few, you know, challenging periods as, as a team. And I just think for me, you know, hustle culture is, you know, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's very much like this idea that you will, you will outwork the world. But, you know, hard work is important. You can't build something meaningful without really generating that traction and momentum at the start but I would say to any entrepreneur you need to build in pauses yeah those pauses act not only as a way to protect your own health and well-being but also a chance 
to reflect and think where's the next push for your business Mm -hmm. because it might not be on the same course that you've been pushing forward and sometimes those course corrections can not only be good for your health they can be really good for your business as well and I'm sure you know for yourselves and your clients you've seen that play out because what got you to base camp B is not what's going to get you to base camp C and he's definitely not going to get you to the top it's yeah. lovely terminology though. We talk, often people, you hear a lot of people saying they work in sprints and we're, we're big advocates of sprints, but the way you describe it is work in pauses, which is like yeah. actually a really lovely way to, to almost reframe the way you say it. Um, cause you know, yeah, you know, what, what got you here won't get you there. And we use that terminology a lot around like, you know, you might get you to one place, but then you've then got to relook at what you then need to do to level up, to take maybe a business to the next stage, but taking those pause moments. And when you work in business with someone like we work together we encourage each other to take those pause moments yeah. we can spot it in each other but I think it's so true what you're saying about not being able to spot it in yourself and especially if you've got that sort of that entrepreneurial profile and you've got quite a lot of those patterns now you've actually got a dollop of reflection in you as well that'll probably help and potentially that's come more over the last few years because it's still not dominant for you you know and we talk about if you've got patterns that are sort of in the middle you know you're 60 40 or 60 percent initiation 40 percent reflective it's likely that you flexed that a little bit over the last couple of years if you were 90 percent initiation you've probably always been like that but when you've got people who are high drive for action high visionary which you've got that big visionary piece in you high choices which you've got where it's almost like juggling lots of different things those pauses don't come naturally and you so you've got to be you know you talked about leading a business purposefully and we talk a lot about that around get be purposeful like get off autopilot and make decisions for your business and for you personally that are purposeful that are driving towards the life that you want to create you're not just sort of being swept along in this tide of opportunities or things coming at you you've got another piece in you Lee that it's we call it internal it essentially means your source of reference is yourself you know if I said to you how do you know when you're doing a good job you'd probably say I just know um but that's dominant for you and what I you know got from you when you know we've done all the research on you you and I talked was around this whole piece around you've got a really strong sense of what you think is right not just for you in your business but also much wider than that you know you you are an advocate for a lot of different a lot of different things before we sort of jump into some of those more specifically I'm interested to know where is that almost that strong sense of being right served you well but also where has it brought you some challenges because it's not easy to be the person that's often championing certain things or maybe saying the things that other people aren't saying can you talk a little bit about that yeah so I just think to just finish off on on the aspects around uh you know being purposeful I think I've kind of started to see, you know, as I've got a little bit older, that actually I'm very, very driven by nature. But having drive with intention mm-hmm. is the important thing. So it's really having an intention behind harnessing that drive and also having a network of people around you who will just check in with you to make sure you are not only harnessing that drive of intention, but you're also just taking your foot off the gas a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, once you clear on your behaviours, you can surround yourself with people who are able to notice the nuances and the changes, but also kind of know who you are and what you like to just give you sometimes a gentle kick 
that you've given them permission to do that. Because I think as entrepreneurs, sometimes we like we're so people put you on a pedestal sometimes or, or they feel like they can't approach you with that. So that you've almost got people around you that you've said, I need you to do this for me. Like this is the role that you play. I'm part of a, a group, um, actually business owner group and there's some phenomenal individuals in there and I talk a lot about like you come out of some of those sessions feeling a little bit battered and bruised in the nicest possible way and it's because they are brutal like we're brutal with each other around you're you're putting too much into that or you need to let that go but you need people around you who are willing to give you that really brutal feedback yeah and I I think I have a level of humility and like many entrepreneurs a level of naive optimism (laughs) so you actually need people to kind of again just give you a, give you a little bit of a slot to say okay right I'm back to reality <laughs> and it's like you were saying you know I've got you know more dominant towards that big picture more dominant towards you know action focused but I do have like a, a bit of a switch for different activities mm-hmm. if I kind of look where I get my energy I know that sometimes I need to be surrounded by people for certain things but for other things I need to be on my own yeah. to plug in and recharge and it, it's it's that kind of awareness all the time. But I think that if we kind of think about how you start to build your life, you know, that's by design as well. Entrepreneurs can build businesses, but really they should also be building your life. Absolutely. And really thinking how you do that to ensure that you actually have sustainability in what you do. Because what's really interesting is, you know, and I speak to a lot of our entrepreneurs and they, they haven't sustainably built their life in the same way they try to sustainably build the business. <laughs> mm. And actually, you have that skill set, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. You just need to bring people around you who have counter skill sets who can actually, you know, mean that you've got much more of a vision and much more of a picture. But I suppose on my journey, I kind of realized I've changed. Mm-hmm. Like I have evolved. And that's one thing is can you take learnings? Can you take that constructive feedback from others around you? Can you really listen? Because I think the biggest thing for me is I've my listening ability has increased an awful lot over the years where instead of thinking, well, I'm going to reply, I actually now sit back and listen mm-hmm. and absorb it and play with it and get curious. And even down to, you know, your previous question around why I'm very much, you know, willing to champion causes and very much, you know, in a seat where I, I will be vulnerable, open and transparent but also very direct in expressing what I think is fair and consistent. I think a big part of that is me being autistic. I've always, since being a little child, had a real pillar of social justice within me. Mm-hmm. It's always there in my value set, things around justice, things around fairness, things around integrity, things around honesty. So anything against that brushes up against my values quite harshly which mean I'm much more likely to kind of snap into action and to kind of reference like I said before that gets you into some great conversations it means that with people who are also quite similar it allows you to explore ideas with people who are different it allows you most of the time to have a constructive debate to see why people believe different things because again that's so often from the cultures that people have grown up within, the people they've been surrounded by, the experiences that they've had. And again, people look at people's beliefs and judge them as a human being. Mm -hmm. Strip back the judgment and you'll see that the reason why they believe that is usually because of what they've seen to create 
the strength to believe something quite powerfully. Yeah. Even if that to you seems really obscure and actually, you know, not not just doesn't seem like a viable thing to believe. What has it done for me over the years? It's meant that, you know, I have been put on the naughty step by certain places for being too vocal and challenging too much. But it also means that I can go into a room of senior leaders and I have very little fear of pushing back against people who are not necessarily used to being challenged. That is seen as quite valuable because, again, you know, like you said, in a room full of, you know, high performing entrepreneurs, the person who's willing to step in and challenge and ask the silly question and really kind of, you know, push back against those who sometimes are quite dominant in places. Mm. Uh, I know it puts me into places <laughs> where some people are like too volatile, you know, too too willing to not conform. But actually, this podcast is called Misbehave. We're you know, all about it over conform. here. <laughs> I don't conform by nature. And I'm not going to, you know, suddenly suppress that aspect of myself. Because when I have, again, it's like suppressing your own values. You're not living in alignment. You get frustrated. And I did have a bit of that on my first business journey. where I started to drift away from my own values. Mm. And, you know, again, I felt the impact of that. A dangerous place. Yeah, it's a dangerous place. I think, you know, we work lots with sort of leadership teams or boards or, and, you know, we're all about that diversity of thinking and, and making, sometimes we even deliver training around getting people to be able to have productive conflict in a, Mm -hmm. in a working group and actually not, you know, the worst kind of meeting is if everybody goes in and nods and you leave the meeting early and nobody's, you know, that for us is like the, you know, it's not a successful meeting and, but getting people to be able to challenge each other, but you've got to have diversity of thinking in the room in the first instance and then then understand the importance of challenge and how to do that and influence people tell us a little bit about I mean uh, just for the listeners to know a little bit more about you being sort of a male ally uh, and, and a menopause champion that that obviously is something that is quite unusual for a guy to be doing it would be really interesting to hear a little bit more about that and how you got involved in that yeah, so I think probably the starting point for that was, you know, I'm black, I'm autistic, so I faced a bit of racism, a bit of discrimination over the years, but never really appreciated what it would be like to, you know, have hormonal cycles. You know, men don't have reference points for a lot of those aspects. But when I became a stay-at-home father, I suddenly ended up in female-dominant environments and ended up suddenly starting to listen and hear things that I wasn't really aware of or wasn't really privy to beforehand. Like my previous company had a 70-30 gender split in tech 10 years ago, which was seen as really kind of revolutionary. But actually, it was because we'd sourced talent straight from university without asking for years and years of experience. And it wasn't necessarily intentional. And because it wasn't, it meant that I didn't really necessarily listen to the female members of my team Mm -hmm. in a way that I probably should have, reflecting back. But suddenly ended up in female-dominant environments, listening to grandmothers saying and telling me what it was like to be the first generation of women in the workplace. You know, mothers telling me about the discrimination they faced, some of the stories that I'd heard, you know, just kind of tugged at my heartstrings and and literally made me feel like, is this the world that we live in? Like, Like, if that was me... I'd have probably kicked off, but then wouldn't have been able to do that because you don't have a privilege to kick off if you're a woman because then that's it, you're aggressive, difficult to work with, you're challenging. It, it, it just, I just started to see all these cycles and thought, maybe I can do something about this. That planted the seed. I then started to talk 
to my, you know, female members of my team. I started to listen to some of the stories of what it had been like as a woman in tech and also just the women in society. Some of the things that they had faced that, again, I didn't even know members of my own team. And it's suddenly having, you know, that space to share those things, but also, and I only reflected on this quite recently, I must have created a safe enough space for women to actually share those things. Uh, because, again, it's difficult to really express those in a society which is all focused on suppressing women by having them being to blame, because it happens to you because, you know, that's because you shouldn't have worn that, you shouldn't have walked there, you shouldn't have said that in the meeting. You know, it's very much focused on suppressing those things instead of having women share them together to realise, actually, this is quite a universal experience and everyone's facing it in some way. So that kind of then threaded into the wellbeing business that I run today, where obviously I spend a lot of time, you know, within organisations. I've got to speak to, you know, a whole range of senior women over the past few few years, starting to realise how impactful, you know, the menopause can be symptomatically, how different it can be all across, you know, different women uh, and people who go through it. But more than ever, looking at wellbeing strategies within organisations, looking at the work that we do and seeing the lack of consideration for the gender health inequity that exists in society, nothing, you know, so often for things like, things like, you know, menopause impacts 51% of the global population directly. It, it's like, it's a guarantee. <laughs> yeah. It's something that, you, something it, that it, it's not like... <laughs> It's it's not a con- it's not a condition yeah. that like not point not one percent of the population have, but then like organisations got policies for stuff like that, and nothing for something that you know might impacts up to seventy percent of their workforce depending on the demographic split, and it just didn't make sense. So I was just started to challenge and push back and say, you know, what why isn't why isn't this being considered? Because especially for you know women in that in that demographic category of forty five to 60 are incredibly skilled because they've come into a workplace that has a lot of barriers and obstacles because of the gender inequity that exists so the skill sets are usually really wide really diverse they're usually highly competent very very good at what they do and then you lose them because you don't you don't consider any support there's a lack of compassion there's a lack of basic consideration and people can't talk about it because there's still people still making jokes and it's like yeah, for me, it was just, again, kind of ticked, up, ticked me off in terms of, you know, what's firm, reasonable, and ultimately, why? Because it's a massive economic case, sir. It's a massive human case, sir. And businesses won't do anything, anything about it. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to speak up about this. I'm going to stand in those senior leadership team meetings and start talking about menstruation and menopause and watch a few, you know, CFO's jaws hit the floor. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it's like... You, you, we can't change the world if people can't be vocal about it and look to try and disrupt and get people thinking, well, why is he speaking about it? Because it, then it incites curiosity, starts to get other men on that journey and starts to have us think about if we look at countries with the, with the, you know, the lowest gender pay gaps, with the highest levels of gender equity in the workplace, what do you also find in those nations? More fulfilled men yeah. who feel more capable of being present in their children's lives and much higher rates of men's health, lower suicide rates, lower mental health issues within men, and actually better life outcomes and life expectancy. So it works for everyone. And I think you're right, because I think most causes in some way, shape or form impact everybody 
yeah, in, in different degrees. And that's often the thing that people don't say. And I think having an ally that's almost sitting on the other side of the coin that might not have experienced it is so powerful. There's the other piece of this, and it's interesting because even conversations we've had about different issues that I think there's a, there's a feeling often for people of, I can't, I can't advocate for something that I've never experienced. And I think there's a lot of that across society in general. What would you say about that and how have you approached that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is to appreciate that, firstly, allyship is becoming a bit of a challenge itself mm. because people are saying they're an ally but not, not doing actually it. doing yeah. anything. It's appreciating that, you know, we've seen things such as racism, misogyny, you know, things against marginalised and minoritised communities as an individual thing. This person behaves this way towards this person and they've been discriminatory, they've harassed them, they've been abusive. And just see it as this individual to individual thing. But it's not an individual thing. It's a systemic Mm -hmm. thing. And because we look at the world, you know, the systems and structures that we exist within, the institutions that are supposed to protect us, the organisations that have been built over years, the, you know, the businesses that exist around us, is all focused and been built and designed and created by usually quite a small group of people. What what does that mean in the bigger scheme of things? Well, if we look at you know gender gender initiatives in the workplace, if men are not engaged, only thirty yeah. percent make any progress. Yeah. If men are engaged and part of the communication, part of the design, part of propagating it out there, part of making it happen, ninety six percent see progress. The reality is that, you know, for me as a man, I have a level of power and privilege in society that's afforded to me by being born as a man. I don't need to give that up. I can use that to change the systems that then mean that the world is more equitable for everyone else. And I think people sometimes feel, oh, I can't do anything because I've not gone through that, or I don't identify as that, or that's not me. But actually, quite often you are in a position where you can use and leverage the knowledge, the experience, the privilege and the power that you have to actually work on some of the systems to make the world a better place for everyone. Because quite often, those systems damage pretty much everyone on the planet. And I think that message of like using your privilege and the power that you do have, even if you haven't got personal lived experience of something, you've probably got privilege and power that maybe the group that you're supporting or the cause that you're supporting doesn't have that actually you can use. I think that's a really lovely message. I'm interested to kind of dive back into your behaviours, but in line with this, because you've obviously got that really strong sense of what's right that drives a lot of this. You've also got a dominant pattern around liking variety and lots of different things going on and you've got such a passion Lee and combined with those two dominant behavioral patterns I can I can see that there's probably you would love if you possibly could to split yourself in a million different places and advocate for you know all of the things that you see because there's so many things that need work how do you how do you choose? Because obviously you've got a business that you're running, you know, you've got, and you've got such, when you've got such strong values and such strong behaviors, it can be easy to almost to get caught up in something that you feel really passionate about, but you maybe don't have the time to do. How do you, how do you work on that? Yeah. So I suppose I kind of quite structured in how I segment my life and really have those priorities and look where I can weave 
some of those values and some of those things that I want to change into the very work that we carry out. But I kind of look and the the variety and the desire for variety is quite important. Mm -hmm. And that means I can structure variety around. Again, it's also helped me to get clearer over the years on what I am happy to then delegate out to others because I'm A, not as passionate, B, not don't bring as much value, C, simply don't enjoy as much, to be able to then create the space and capacity to do the things where I get that fulfillment, I feel like I'm making a change. And I think, you know, a big part of that and a big lesson that I learned was in my first business, when I became ill, I had to remove myself. And like so many kind of founders, you then realize that there are significant aspects where you were the blockage, (laughs) where you were the barrier, where you were actually suppressing different aspects. And until you actually take yourself out, you don't get to see that. So I made a decision to then not return operationally, but to return in a strategic capacity. And that allowed me to kind of see again where I can add value, where I'm, you know, getting in my own in my own business's way. And I now kind of utilize that to be able to actually decide that on this business journey, I'm much more considered in how I want to grow it sustainably. I'm much more considered about the things that are valuable to me that sit around that. But actually, it all sits in my own head within a bit of an ecosystem of everything that I do is focused on advancing humanity. And the business sits as a little area around that. My allyship and advocacy sits around that. The community stuff that I do sits around that. Ultimately, everything ties back into my values. And I think that when that's in alignment, you find your energy and attention much more easy to manage and direct towards that. Because I still live with a chronic illness, which means I have to be very aware of my own energy levels. And that journey to become aware of that and that kind of self-awareness of where I'm at allows me to actually know how much I've got to give to what. It's interesting because a lot of people start a business and they end up having to do everything because yeah, yeah, you know, you're you've you've a short on resource. So you end up like spreading yourself. So then when you have to create the space to step out and just do strategy and take a more strategic role, it's super difficult for people to let go. But when you came back into the business and you made that decision to stop start with the strategy and leave that operational stuff aside that's a really interesting way for our listeners to think about stepping away because the delegation and removing yourself out of the day-to-day is one of the biggest challenges as we hear that business owners have um just keen to sort of summarize and look a little bit ahead um for you with uh, in relation to what big picture looks like so we know you're a big visionary you've just talking about everything linking to your cause tell us a little bit about what your vision for sort of the next five to ten years looks like we know from your behavioral patterns you will definitely have a plan what does that look like (laughs) (laughs) so yeah for me interestingly I always have a plan but it's always very flexible I find that, you know, the world can shift. And if you'd have thought back to the start of this decade, I don't think anyone would have predicted how the first few years would have turned out and how that shaped people's perceptions. Uh, But for me, 
you know, I'm always looking at how we can tackle some of the future's problems. My business, I want it to become a leader in the field of the sustainability of people, but it's always going to be a small, compact unit delivering quality work. I'm very clear on, on the size of that and how I want that to, uh, to, to grow into something that becomes something that makes change rather than takes up space. For me, you know, I'm still focused and will always have that passion for really tackling system, systemic change and some of the wicked challenges that we have as, as a species. And I'm very much focused on how I can continue on that journey, which is a journey of learning. I think it's so important to learn, so important to listen. In fact, I think for anyone who wants to be an ally, there's as much unlearning as there is learning. But I do really want to focus on being able to actually make systemic change in society. Ultimately, I know that these things take time, systems being dismantled, systems being, you know, rebuilt. And the people who have the toolkits for that are, you know, in a place where it doesn't necessarily suit them for things to be dismantled. Uh, so I suppose my job over the next 10 years is to get hold of some of those tools and use them in a misbehaving way. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's, that's, that's the mission that I'm on. And I think, think for me, I'm not holding too tightly on, onto any specific metrics because if I can create a legacy, which I feel that legacy isn't you retire and you go and do something yeah. meaningful, it's your actions, your impact on other people and the world around you every single day. Um, that's how I kind of measure it. And if I can continue to keep making those ripples every day, at some point that'll become a wave and that'll be the wave and the legacy that I leave. But if there is one thing, that I want to be doing in 10 years' time. It's still waking up in the morning, excited for the impact that I'm going to make, ready to go and tackle something that is challenging and to live with love. So the biggest thing for me is to love what I do, yeah. to love the people I do it with and to love the impact that I make. And if in 10 years' time I'm still loving it, that's enough for Happy me. Happy days. I think we it's now amazing. know why he was called the uh, Future Shaper by Marie Claire and also One to Watch by Brummel Magazine. I think you have just highlighted a number of the things, the accolades that you have been given over the last few years. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure to be with you. And yeah, you know, let's keep misbehaving together. Sure. <laughs> we'll have you back on in the next five years and then in the next 10 years and we'll just redo it all over again and hear all about the misbehaviour. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. So let's wrap up with some key takeaways from an amazing episode with Lee. Early on in the episode, we talked about behaviour and when Lee described his description of what that meant, he talked about it being an outward expression and that actually as a leader, if you can look at behaviour as a clue into your team and actually how they might be thinking, believing and then respond accordingly, you can really start to drive big change and be able to communicate with them in a way that resonates. The key with this is that often with behaviour, we attach meaning to it and we make people's behaviour mean something, usually driven by our own behaviours. The important thing is to not do that, to just be able to look at the behaviour in its factual glory. What did someone do? What did you hear? What did you witness? And not attach what you think that then means. We then talked about this this concept of sustainability and it's such a huge buzzword at the moment. Every business is looking at how they make themselves more sustainable. And part of that conversation was around 
It's great to look at the sustainability of your business, but have you considered the sustainability of your life? And it's something that Sarah and I are so passionate about when we work with entrepreneurs around scaling a business at the expense of everything else to us isn't worth it. And actually where the game changes is when you build a business really purposefully around the life that you want to create and that actually that life is sustainable. So it's not just about your business being sustainable, but actually can you, you know, can you work at the pace that you're working at? Are you building in pauses? Lee talked about that. Is it sustainable in your life in general? And the last thing and potentially one of the most impactful pieces of this podcast was talking about this concept of being an ally or an advocate and that some people believe and we've definitely heard this um, with businesses that we encounter and leaders that you have to have firsthand experience of something to be a great advocate and what Lee really described and showed with all of his work was that actually if you can flip that on its head and if you can look at your privilege and your power that actually you often have more ability to do something about something that maybe you haven't experienced. But if you can look at how you can use your privilege and power for good, maybe the connections that you have, the networks that you have, the stage that you can talk from, that actually you can have just as much impact as an ally on whatever cause it is that you're passionate about. Thank you for listening to Misbehave. Follow us so you don't miss out on other episodes. 